Welcome to This Must Be a Joke. Strap in and join us on this unfiltered journey as we navigate through the punchlines that lie within our society. I'm your host, Natalie. And I'm your host, Bailey. For our first episode, we thought it would be fun to discuss the dreadful American cat fight, which has been escalating over the past 30 years and why it won't die down. I hope it dies down sometime. It might not, but we hope so. It's extremely hard not to notice how politically polarized we are as a country. I mean... I don't know about y'all, but when I think back to like 2015, I just don't remember people hating each other this much. Back in 2015, I was like in middle school, so I definitely did hate people this much, just not politically. I mean, there may have been some people I disliked strongly, but still, I just don't remember a time where people were just so hateful towards one, like one another. It's sad. You know, my mom, she said she's never lost a friend to political views. She don't talk politics with my grandma no more. Mm. So, uh, she don't really talk to her no more at all. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, exactly, it's clearly happening. I mean, I don't really talk politics with anyone outside my immediate family because it just, it don't end well. And, yeah, it's a rough world out there. And it's embarrassing that we've gotten to this point. So embarrassing. But it's time to get into it. America's polarization is probably Partly your fault. Don't lie and don't wince when I say that. We know it to be true. Polarization is essentially a bad thing long term. Of course, it's good to have a political identity, but apparently in today's day and age, there's only one correct party. Now, some individuals will argue why political polarization is good. However, the divide puts us at risk as society. A study done by Pew Research Center states that with the rate we are dividing, our democracy is at risk. Trust will soon be completely lost within key institutions and violence will only escalate. No, our democracy is extremely vulnerable at the moment and will continue to be the more polarized we become. Another Pew Research Center study indicates that the overall share of Americans who express consistently conservative or consistently liberal opinions has doubled, doubled over the past two decades. That's insane. And if one party was to take over completely, and by that I mean all three branches of government, and, by the way, only 26% of Americans know what the three branches of government are. So let me clarify for you. Executive, judicial, and legislative. Judicial. My bad, y'all. Apparently I'm 26%. (laughs) But, no, look it up. It's It's a fact. It's real. I was shocked. I was shocked. It's insane. But if one party was to take over completely all three branches of government consisted of a one-party majority, the democracy would be obsolete and individuals of the other party would lose their political identity. Essentially, America would become a one-party country and the other party would lose all trust within the justice system and key institutions. Basically, we are saying polarization increases the risk of us losing trust within the justice system because of how each side views the opposing side. So once a side is seen as the enemy, I mean, individuals will believe the justice system is making decisions based on personal bias instead of the law itself. And it's clear that's where we're headed. That's exactly where we're at. Yes. Without that trust in the justice system, everyone feels the need for immediate, immediate change, which is what has been resulting in the violent worst case scenarios in the description destruction of our system. In the past couple of years, violence because of political parties has been no stranger to us. Inner groups have formed and to prove a point have violently responded to different issues. For example, the BLM riots, Antifa riots, 
as well as the insurrection on January 6th. Oh, yeah, the list goes on. Political polarization (laughs) has left us losing friends and family just because of simple disagreements. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. Her mom and grandma. (laughs) And it's sad because compromise should be something that we should all be able to do. You know, we're grown adults, but now... Americans are grouping themselves based on ideology, like now more than ever. Um, it's just nutty. Like similar hobbies and interests, they don't really matter. Like it's just like if you follow a certain ideology, that's who they group you with. They group you with that party, and it's like case closed. That's like, it. That's totally it. Mm-hmm. Political parties should be a way to express ideas and have a say in governmental decisions, not a demonizing identity that ends up being an entire personality trait. Now, with that being said, are we so polarized because of the lack of civic engagement? Are individuals choosing to keep their mouths shut? I mean, are we uneducated on how to be engaged citizens? Or are we all just distracted with... living under a rock. (laughs) Or Patrick Starr is out here. Like, I don't know. (laughs) The voter turnout rate for the 2020 election was only around 63%. Why not 100? Is it because individuals can't get off work? Is it because they haven't received the proper education on why voting matters? Do people think their vote doesn't count? Or because that 63% only leaves 47% out. Yeah. So there's, and 47 doesn't quite equal the 26%. So even then, the 26% of people that don't understand the three branches of government So where are the people that do understand that and why aren't they voting? We don't know. Like, where all the independents are, like, they're hiding under a rock, but the freaking, like, 47% would just, you know, even out the playing field. Exactly. Like, just just a little, little, you know? Yeah. (sighs) Okay, so if you've been following along, like, on our socials and whatnot, we've sort of been posting polls, or we did a poll about just, like, your this general topic. Yes, voting in general, but yeah, Bailey will kind of give you a little rundown on that. All right, according to the polls, y'all are saying we are so di- so divided because of the radical left ideology. 78% said radical left ideology, while 22% said radical right. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> as far as accessibility of voting it was around 50 50 on those that participated in the last election which is crazy like especially people following and following our account yeah you think these people are like i don't know political (laughs) voting yeah and no i mean 50 50 voted 90 percent were saying that it was pretty easy to access like voting wise the other 10 percent said that it was hard to access which will kind of we'll cover Oh, yeah. We use these polls just to gain a little insight on our viewers and see your thoughts on voting. From there, we decided to dive into into the possible differentiation across states and what voting as well as voter education looks like for them. Yeah. All right. So as soon as we dove into trying to figure out which states have the best turnout, I mean, we found this site and it was really crazy to see. So Maine, Minnesota... New Hampshire have stayed consistently at the top for voter turnout since 1996. I was very fascinated by Minnesota, though, okay? Because they have stayed in the top two since 1976. So what are what are they doing differently? Like, 
They have the highest voter turnout since 1970. It's in like the 80%. No, it's it's really, really high. It's crazy high. And then you look on the other side of things and you have Nevada, Texas, Texas, Hawaii, Hawaii, which have been at the bottom, around the bottom, I would say bottom three, ever since 1996. And even California is extremely low. And it's crazy because California has been at the forefront of a lot, a ton of this polarization. A ton. Well, you think of them as such a large state and like... They would have more voters. Way more. It would be like a, like a swing, like... You would think it'd almost be a swing state because Northern California is pretty much red. Southern California and big cities uh, are mostly blue. Yeah. Maybe it wouldn't be exactly a swing state, but there would definitely be a higher voter turnout than what we saw. And by the way, all the sources we're using will be linked so you can go and fact check us if you don't believe us. Yeah, seriously. Go ahead. They'll be in the description. (laughs) And if you see us referring, like, we don't want to get anything wrong as we're telling you this. But, you know, we, yeah, we're, mm, we're doing it. We're doing it. And... Also, southern states have consistently been in the bottom half of voter turnout, which, if you look further into that, is a result of slavery, the Civil War, civil rights, and gerrymandering all together. Pretty much. And then, okay, getting back into why certain states have higher voter turnout, we were like, why are these states... why? I mean... There's a reason. What are the states doing to help? Yeah. So there's certain states that have same-day voting. So they obviously have higher turnout because it's like you can show up. Register. Register. Vote. Like, as long as you obviously are, you know, able to vote. Yeah. But it's that easy. Like, the better accessibility, the better the more votes and more states there's only like 15 to 18 it kind of ranges on ones that require high school students to pass a citizens test exam a civics test yeah like and it's testing their knowledge and it gives a lot of information that they you know we should know and why are like not even half the states doing this like it's crazy all yeah and Okay, another crazy thing that's just, like, more into why we're lacking the knowledge and, yeah, the knowledge on voting in our government and why people are less and less involved. So, over time, the federal government has become more and more involved in education, and this is sort of leading into an overlap that we're seeing relatively unusual between schools or school issues, so, like, local issues and national issues, and... Just like the upcoming congressional midterm elections. So that's not a sharp distinction between when this phase occurred. And so in 1983 was when a nation at risk was like opposed by the federal government. And so this was the first time America was like, all right, we're questioning ourselves because the government put out a statement saying, you know, we are being criticized. Our education system is not in parlay with where it should be and like this shot people's America's confidence you know thinking they're the best in everything and whatnot and continue down the line there was no child left behind in 2001 signed by Republican President George Bush 
a much stronger insertion of the federal government into the mechanics of education, really. And at the tail end of the Barack Obama administration, there was some substantial pushback at the national level against what had been this growing role of the federal government intervening in education. And in the Every Student Succeeds Act, which was the national education legislation passed in 2015, there was some effort to pull out or back away from the national government back to the states. So in that sense, the trend towards centralization kind of leveled off a little bit. Yeah, we sort of forgot about these issues. Like you've probably never heard of a nation at risk or anything about anyone back in time, like sort of questioning our education as a whole and this leading to yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've always been taught like we get great education because we are in America. I mean, yeah, that is like they're like go to America. Like good education. Yeah. And we're not. Yeah. So not all things I'm sure are bad for why the federal government has like intervened. Mm -hmm. Okay. But what we're seeing is in the last five years or so, there is a re-engagement of interests on all these national actors. So there's political parties, national politicians, national interest groups, national, like their foundations that are giving money for education. It's electoral, electoral donors who support candidates at all these levels of like government. And so this growing interest of national actors is influencing local school politics and bringing these like local stories to national debate. And it's becoming such a dense political issue like mm-hmm. education and what's being taught and everything as a whole. So, I mean, that's partly because they've realized that education is often an issue that motivates people, motivates voters, particularly voters who may or may not be Republican or Democrat. They're just actively involved. Yeah. They're apolitical. When it comes to kids, people respond. They respond intensely. Yeah. Very. Now, the issues that have been popping up over the last few years have been those related to COVID and issues relating to school closings, mask mandates, to vaccination mandates for teachers and students, which have energized some parents at the local level, some of whom have supported those policies and some of who have opposed them very harshly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Then we have the controversies on teaching critical race theory, gender ideologies, identities, and just sex in general riling everybody up. Pretty much. All this has just really become a huge distraction and argument created, and it seems like the more and more we become dependent on our government to help us with our problems, the more divided we become, and the less focused we are on like what is important for the young children of our society, like what we're teaching them, what we're educating them on, everything. And it's crazy because some individuals do say, and it is considered a conspiracy theory, that the federal government trying to get involved in schools on the local level and just within the states, they're trying to throw propaganda at the children to indoctrinate them. And if you really look into it, listen closely. Um, Please do. The Smith-Month Act is in correlation with the Informational Exchange Act of 1948. This act was passed back in World War II to allow the government to distribute information about America to foreign audiences. Foreign. Foreign. This act also prohibited the U.S. from distributing information within the United States over the fear of propaganda to the American citizens. However, it gets a little contradictory here. 
In 2013, Congress abolished the domestic ban, which led to a heated debate over the federal government in free public discourse, essentially meaning letting the government pick the information we are allowed to see. This gives the federal government great power to influence public opinion, a.k.a. propaganda. propaganda. They are lying to us. The VOA, Voice of America, was incorporated with the OWI, Office of War Information, which oversees the Bureau of Motion Pictures, which is in collaboration with Hollywood to specifically create propaganda films. The amended act is now called the Smith-Munt Modernization Act of 2012. Why do we not know about this? Why didn't? Why does nobody know about this? Like, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Okay. And it's crazy. Maybe this episode won't even get published. Maybe this episode won't even get posted. Yeah, maybe we'll get banned for speaking maybe. this info to you guys. Because nobody has ever freaking heard of the Smith Months, like... Modernization Act of 2012, where they literally went back and were like, no, instead of, this. instead of releasing all this information to foreign countries to, you know, like aid us and like help us and make our image look better, we're going to do it to the American citizens and in fact infiltrate, infiltrate their minds with like. And it's funny because when did the polarization truly begin? 2012. Back in 2012. And it's crazy. It's crazy to see all of the dots connecting. I mean, all of the ends meeting. And it's like, really, America? Really? <laughs> really? Why? I just. And it, it took forever, forever to find this information. No. We had to go on different servers than Safari and Google. Couldn't find it on Google. Like, it's insane how much they want to hide the fact that they, like, are literally allowed to put out information that is false, lies, made up stuff. I mean... It's insane. Yeah, so that is a glimpse into just what is going on. And um, what we'll be talking about next episode, really. Yeah, no, it, we're going to dive deeper into this topic of, like, propaganda in general. And, and Hollywood and... All of that good stuff later on. But this is gonna, this is giving y'all a glimpse of like, this is where we're at. And we need to, we need to go somewhere else. We, we need to find a different path. We need to find the light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know if we need to take another tunnel and figure that out. I or... don't know. Like, I'm not expecting some utopia society, okay? But like, maybe a dystopian with where we're heading. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but anyways, that's it for our first episode. Yeah, this must be a joke episodes will air out every Monday. So if you haven't already, I mean, be sure to follow us on social so you can stay up to date on What's all the good on? things. Yes. And maybe answer some of our polls. Yes, tell us what you want us to talk about. Um, we have a contact link in our bio on Instagram. Check that out on our link tree. It's everywhere. Follow us on social media at this must be a joke podcast. And that's it for our first episode. Bye, yes, guys. Bye.